Hello and welcome to the podcast series on how to improve elections from the Electoral Integrity Project. Each episode features a new idea on how to improve elections based on academic research. My name is Toby James and I co-direct the Electoral Integrity Project with Holly and Garnet. Now, one basic feature of democracy, it is widely thought, is universal suffrage. The idea is that everyone should be able to vote. But in practice, not everyone can. And in the previous episodes, we've considered how under 18s in most countries, for example, are not able to vote. And then we've also considered how many prisoners and former prisoners are in practice not able to vote. But in this session, we consider how there are actually also restrictions for many psychiatric patients. And with us today, I'm delighted to say, is Felicity Marcus and Dr. Yvette Nell from Tara Hospital and the Department of Psychiatry in the Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of Witwatersrand in Johannesburg, South Africa. Thank you, Toby. Thank you. Thanks for having us. You're welcome. So, first of all, please, could you just kind of introduce yourselves and say how you got interested in elections, please? Okay, thank you, Toby. Um, I'm uh, Dr. Yvette Nell, so I'm a psychiatrist, a clinician, um, and I work in a public sector hospital, a psychiatric hospital in South Africa, which is Tara Hospital. I'm also a joint appointee uh, with the University of the Fidwatisrand, um Department of Psychiatry, so that's my sort of academic role. Um, so I'm not a legal expert or an electoral expert, but I'm a clinician, so more my expertise is really in mental health. Um, good afternoon. I'm Dr. Felicity Marcus. I am also a psychiatrist working at Tara Hospital. Also joint appointee working um, through the University of the Witwatersrand in the psychiatric department. Um, and then in terms of how we kind of got into uh, this topic uh, with regards to mental health care users and, and voting rights, it's actually a patient asked me um, about eight or nine years ago, uh, we were having kind of a meeting in the hospital with the patients and discussing, um, uh, you know, any concerns. And one of the patients put up their hand and said, elections are coming up. Are they going to come and register us? And can we vote? Um, and are special provisions going to be made so that we can vote? And at the time, I actually hadn't uh, had an opportunity to look at electoral law and how it related to mental health care users. So, I mean, in our in our kind of training as specialist doctors, we do go through quite a lot of legislation pertaining to mental health um, and health care in general. So we're very well versed in the Mental Health Care Act and, and other legislation relating to mental health care users. But the Electoral Act wasn't something that I'd ever kind of covered Um so it it got me kind of looking at it and I was I was quite surprised at at the the restrictions because um I, I didn't know they were there firstly and then when I discovered they were there I, I immediately kind of thought this doesn't seem particularly fair. Um so that's really the background as to how I got involved in this kind of topic. And then I I supervise master's research and Felicity was one of my master's research candidates. And we kind of came up with this this topic to sort of just get the the ball rolling in terms of, you know, further research. There was nothing in South Africa looking at mental health care users. Um, and that's how we got into this topic. Um, so I think from my side, uh, as Yvette mentioned, I, um, we actually met when I was a, an undergraduate. And as part of our training uh, to specialize in psychiatry, we do have to do a master's research project. 
and I think we were, you know, discussing ideas and uh, different things that we could look into, and Yvette, who already had this interest in um, voting in mental health care patients, um, thought, you know, maybe this was something we could do. And at the time, I really liked the idea of doing research in a topic that was actually quite under-researched in South Africa. So I think it is one of the first of its kind. Um, but I also felt that it would really open up for further discussions, uh, possibly lead to shift in the way people think um, about psychiatric patients and their right to vote. And I think I just really hoped that it would make a difference. Brilliant. Thank you. And it obviously really shows uh, the need for people to be studying elections outside of the traditional domain of, kind of political science departments. So um, who then does have the right to vote in South Africa? And you know, what restrictions are there? Okay, so in terms of being able to register and, and vote in South Africa, um, it's actually controlled by the Independent Electoral Commission. So that's the overseeing body um, of voting. And according to them and to the Electoral Act um, of 73, which was made in 1998, um, there were quite a few limitations with regarding registration. So firstly, in order to register to vote um, and therefore vote in South Africa, you have to be a South African citizen um, and you have to be at least 16 years of age. You also have to have a valid um, South African identity booklet um, to allow you to vote. But I think along with this, there are actually many limitations to voting. So obviously, if you're not a South African citizen, um, you're not able to vote. If you have applied for your registration fraudulently, they also don't let you to vote. And then most importantly is that if you have been declared by a high court, you have unsound mind or mentally disordered or detained under our Mental Health Care Act, um, you're also not allowed to vote. And that's where I think the, the problem comes in, um, in that it's quite a vague term um, and quite not, not very specific in terms of uh, voting rights, especially of the mental health care patients. The, the law uh, sort of talks about registration and not voting, um, but registration on the voters' roll is a prerequisite for voting. So um, if you can't register on the voters' roll, then you can't vote. So um, what are voting competency tests? and Is that what South Africa has? Okay, so, so no, South Africa does not have voting competency tests. So it's really this, this law that um, pertains to a restriction on the registration on the voters' roll. Um, so there are several problems, I think, with, with the law. And the idea of kind of voting competency tests, um, we can talk about a little bit more. So South Africa is certainly not the only country that has um, uh, legislation that prohibits voting in certain categories of mental health care users and there is prior research on this topic so um, Bugra et al in uh, 2016 published a, a really kind of nice review of legislation across the world with regards to mental illness and the right to vote and interestingly there only 11% of the countries that they studied had absolutely no restrictions on voting in persons with mental illness and 36% barred uh, persons with mental illness from voting in elections. And then there were some other kind of um, categories where there were um, 
restrictions based on on specific things like detention under or under law or declaration by a court. So yeah, we're not the only country that has voting restrictions based on mental health, and it seems to be an international kind of trend. And and really, the the, the problem um, in terms of kind of voting competency is really the idea that. Can you assess somebody's competency to vote? So as psychiatrists, we are often called upon to assess something called capacity. And this would be, for example, if someone um, is elderly and maybe has dementia and is wanting to write a will, and someone might call into account, uh, call into question whether this person has capacity to, to write a will. And a capacity assessment is then done. And that capacity assessment would be um, a very task-specific capacity assessment. So you would look at, you know, does the person um, understand the, the task uh, what is the functional impairment of the patient? What domains are affected? Um, and do these domains impact on the ability to complete the task? So, so the question, I think, when it comes to kind of mental, uh, mental health care and voting is around this kind of capacities and, 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 and also whether it is actually something that you would ever need to assess. So does someone have to have capacity in that same sort of sense that we would look at um, for, for writing a will for voting? Um, so the average voter um, actually doesn't have to prove anything. So the average voter doesn't have to prove that they understand uh the voting process. They don't have to prove that they have studied the manifestos of the political parties. They don't have to really demonstrate anything other than arriving at a voting station, registering and arriving on the day to, re- to vote. Um, so, so to put kind of a, a different um, requirement for someone with a mental health care problem is inherently quite problematic. However, I think where, where Felicity's research kind of kicks off and we'll go into that in the States, there is this concept of the DOE principle, um, which arose actually uh, following an appeal by patients in Maine against restrictions on voting in mental health care users. And there a court ruled that a person lacked the capacity to vote if they lacked the capacity to understand the nature and the effect of voting so that they could not make an individual choice. So I think the, the kind of key principle there is that it's not a judgment on the validity of the choice but the ability to kind of understand that there is a voting process happening and the ability to demonstrate some form of choice. And that's kind of this DOE principle. And and from that, the Professor Applebaum uh, in the U.S. developed something called the CAT-V, which is the competency assessment tool for voting. And it really is this kind of screening questionnaire that assesses those components. So the components of understanding the nature of voting, understanding the effect of voting, and being able to demonstrate a choice. That CAT-V also goes on to kind of um, look at reasoning, but the reasoning part is not kind of included in that uh, sort of DOE principle. And with regards to the history of voting, um, you know, discrimination has been there, and you're well aware, um, based on gender, religion, race, education level, um, and exclusion from voting of mental health care users is not entirely different, although obviously there are points that that you can argue. Um, But overall kind of discrimination towards mental health care users is very clear in in legislation using outdated terms such as imbecile, lunatic, insane. Those terms are are, are filled with stigma and discrimination. 
um, and are often found in legislation pertaining to mental health care users and voting. I understand this is something which you've explicitly kind of studied. So our Mental Health Care Act in South Africa was actually amended in 2002. And when they did these changes, they, they actually removed words such as detained and replaced them with phrases such as care treatment and rehabilitation. Um, however, the Electoral Act didn't take any of these changes into account. So it actually remained quite outdated. And it was really felt to be quite unfair and restricting to exclude hospitalized mental health care patients. But also there was really no scientific basis for the decision not to allow our patients to register to vote um, and to be able to vote. Um, As I think Yvette has mentioned, mental illness doesn't really equate to not being able to vote, not being able to understand the voting process or even make a decision. So my study really aimed to compare the voting capabilities of hospitalized mental health care users to non-psychiatric hospitalized patients. So I think just here it's important to understand that in um, in South Africa, if you aren't a mental health care patient, if you're another patient in a hospital, they allow special votes, um, they provide special ballot boxes for those patients, but they're actually not doing this um, for our mental health care patients. So um, in the study, I basically designed a questionnaire. It was based on the DOE criteria and adapted from Professor Applebaum's original CAFE questionnaire. And I took a sample group from Staffontine Hospital, so that is a psychiatric hospital um, in South Africa, um, as well as a control group. And the control group consisted of orthopedic patients um, at another hospital um, in, in our country. Um, and it was quite interesting that even in the result, there really weren't differences in voting capabilities. The mental health care patients and the sample group and the non-psychiatric patients in the control group actually showed a very similar ability to understand the voting process and make a decision. The real difference actually came through on the ability to reason. And in my study and what was concluded was that this was actually more due to education levels. So really nothing to do with your your mental health care status at the time. Great, thank you. So it sounds as if this really speaks about some quite serious levels of inequality here in the system. I mean, based on your, your study, how do you think the law should be revised or changed? So, I mean, I think we're of the opinion that they should just remove the restrictions. If you remove all of those restrictions in terms of mental health care users and registration on the voting roll, we feel that that would remove the um, discrimination. Um, and, and I mean, I think just to, to kind of talk about what's been happening in South Africa, there have been several amendments um, to the electoral laws and dating back to 2013 was the kind of electoral amendment bill and the first um, change to the electoral law. And there were public hearings and a lot of those public hearings centered around this clause, around the restrictions on mental health care users. And it's, it's quite interesting. You can go and kind of read the, the, the public hearings and the comments and some of the comments from the members of parliament demonstrate a lot of bias towards mental health care users um, and sort of assumptions that 
that that mental health care users can't make any kind of choice or any kind of reason just based on the fact that they're mental health care users. And then, I mean, there's, it, it's made the news before, so there's news articles from 2013. And then again, this topic kind of came up when there was a new bill um, in 2018 and 2019. And in fact, there was a Twitter poll on um, one of our news agencies where the, 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 the sort of topic was, should mental health patients be allowed to vote? Um, and the public had to kind of weigh in. And uh, the last time I checked it, it was a 60% yes and a 40% no. And and there is currently a bill that's been proposed by a member of parliament um, which uh, amends the electoral law and removes those two sections relating to mental health care users. So that hasn't been, um, it isn't an act yet, but it's a proposal in terms of uh, the latest amendments. So, yeah, we would support that. We would support that those two sections regarding mental health care users and restrictions are just removed from the electoral law. Is there other support that needs to be put in place to support psychiatric patients to cast their vote? Um, so I think as Yvette mentioned, probably the main one would be to correct the law in general. But that's why I think we really wanted to do the re- research. We really want to advocate, um, for the ISC to relook and update their registration criteria. In terms of, I think maybe small things that individual hospitals could do, especially psychiatric hospitals, would really be to, um, as mentioned, to have special ballot boxes or allow special recommendations um, or provisions. So when it is election time, to maybe allow the patients to go out, to be able to go um, cast their vote, um, and then obviously come back to hospital, but really to to keep them in mind, um, especially during election times. Um, and it sounds, you know, I'm convinced. Um, but are there other problems that your proposed changes might cause, or at least maybe things that you'd have to kind of monitor if your proposals were adopted? Right. So, I mean, I think I think in this point, there there really are kind of three viewpoints you could take with regards to mental health care users and voting. So, you could say um, there should be no restrictions on voting. At all in a democracy, you could say, um, secondly, there should be rational but limited restrictions on voting rights to maintain the integrity of the democracy. And um, thirdly, you could say that actually no person with a mental illness or defect should allow should be allowed to vote. And I think um, one of the, the sort of things that um, those that would want restrictions to continue would put forward would say that it's 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 going to affect the integrity of the of the election if you allow mental health care users to vote and that you're going to cause kind of harm um, by doing that. So my view is that that, that um, really requires quite a lot of education and sort of destigmatization with regards to mental health care users. And whilst I accept that there may be a very, very small minority of mental health care users that would really struggle to understand the voting process at all, that is definitely not the majority. So I don't believe that sort of a blanket restriction on mental health care users, removing that would undermine the electoral process. But I think that that really is kind of the argument that that you're, you're sort of allowing something to undermine the electoral process. So yeah, I think I suppose that's that's kind of the that's the the, the only real sort of argument against what we're proposing. Um, and I think Felicity's research sort of goes quite a long way in in sort of proving that point and saying that that isn't really a concern. 
That's great, thank you. So, I mean, you touched on it a little bit there, but who should be implementing this? Obviously, we've spoken really about the South African context here, but as you mentioned a few times, um, different countries have different laws or restrictions. Should basically all countries remove all restrictions on, on psychiatric patients uh, or at least review them? Yes, Toby. So I really do think it's the responsibility of each individual country to really look at their, at their voting rules and regulations um, and their current voting processes and, and really decide if it's fair and if it takes into account the rights of all individuals, and this includes our mental health care patients. I think most importantly that decisions should always be made on research um, and not biases or misinformation. And I really think that's something that, that all countries must look at. And maybe just to add on that, the World Psychiatric Association had an action plan um, several years ago, 2014 to 2017, and one of their targets was to kind of examine and uh, target social discrimination, and the electoral process and, and voting rights was identified then as an area of ongoing social discrimination. So it's certainly something as um, psychiatrists and those working in the mental health care profession um, that we should be advocating for the rights of our patients and moving away from the, the social discrimination um, against mental health care users. So, so be, where can we yeah. find out more? Um, obviously, um, I'm sure listeners will be keen to get their hands on the publication, for example. So can you say a little bit more about that and perhaps other resources? So, um, yes, I think it's, it's, it's really important to start discussions um, and raise awareness on this topic. Um, and my research has been published. It can be found in the South African Journal of Psychiatry, Volume 27 of uh, 2021. It's entitled An Assessment of Voting Knowledge and Related Decisions Amongst Hospitalized Mental Health Care Users in South Africa. Um, some other resources which um, and articles of interest would be that of Professor Applebaum et al. So his research is entitled Capacity to Vote of Persons with Alzheimer's Disease. Another um, interesting article that I did pick up on when I was doing my research was actually done in Israel by Daron et al. And that's entitled Voting Rights for Psychiatric Patients, Compromise of the Integrity of Elections or Empowerment and Integration into the Community. And I really think those are, are good resources if one wants to find out more about this topic. And then also uh, Bugra et al., uh, the title is Mental Illness and the Right to Vote, a Review of Legislation Across the World. And that was published in 2016 in the International Review of Psychiatry. That's brilliant. Thank you so much. And thank you, Felicity and Yvette, for your time, which is really appreciated. I'm sure uh, the listeners will, will really enjoy uh, reading the article. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for having us on your podcast. Thank you, Toby. Thanks. Yeah, we're really hoping to sort of that this is a step towards removing the remains of the discrimination towards um, those with mental illness. So thanks ever so much for listening and we hope you'll join us again in the next episode. 